This morning we're starting a two-week series called Free Indeed, and the indeed is important here. The word free is used differently in the world than it is in the Bible. And I want to give you the example of the playground. Think about how the word free is used on the playground. It's a free country, right? You ever hear that? You can't tell me what to do. <laughs> when we talk about the word free in the world, usually what we're saying is some variation of it's a free country. You can't tell me what to do. Nobody has control over me. There's no rules imposed on me. I'm free. That's not the way the Bible talks about freedom. There's a different vision of the word freedom in the Bible. And as Christians, we're called to that kind of freedom, which will make us free indeed. Free, not in some worldly vision of freedom, but actually free in a way that makes us safe and helps us flourish. And so that's what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks. How as Christians, we can live in the type of freedom that God offers us. Because the truth is, there's a kind of freedom out there. The world's brand of freedom that's actually just another brand of slavery. Freedom without any rules, freedom without any boundaries. It's dangerous and it'll expose you to so many masters that will take control of you and of your heart, maybe without you even noticing it. Everybody serves something. And being free indeed, it doesn't mean being your own master, it means choosing the right one to serve. Let's jump right in. We're gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10. We're about to read our text for the day, and I want to warn you, it's going to go by quick. We are zeroing in on just a couple of verses this morning. Next week, we're going to unwrap the broader context of where these principles come from. But this week, I just want to look at a couple of words. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and let's start reading in verse 23. Paul says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is profitable. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is constructive. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Now, I want to read through that again. This is our text for the day. So pay attention to these words. This is the word of God to us this morning. There's something in here for you. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is profitable. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is constructive. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Now that first sentence, everything's permissible but me, for me, but not everything's profitable. Paul uses that same sentence earlier in this same letter. We're in chapter 10. In chapter 6, he uses that exact same sentence. If you're looking on your Bible, I'll pull it up on the screen. But if you're in your Bible, flip over to chapter 6, just a few pages earlier, and take a look at this sentence. Paul's, Paul's elaborating on the same principle in a different context. Here's what he says. 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verse 12. This is a good verse to memorize, by the way. This is, this is a powerful verse. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is profitable. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. These are verses, what we've just read are some principles about freedom. What freedom looks like for Christians. See, Paul identifies the problem right off the bat. He says it over and over. Look at this sentence. Everything is permissible for me. Jesus Christ sets us free. That's the message of the gospel. Jesus Christ sets us free from sin and from death, from guilt and shame, but it's so much more than that. Jesus sets us free from rules. He sets us free from the law, from legalism. 
In Jeremiah 31, there's a prophecy, a prophecy that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. uh, And that's confirmed in Romans 2, Hebrews 10. This is a powerful verse. Listen to these words from Jeremiah 31. This is about freedom. God says, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and teach his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. What this means is you don't have to follow a written set of rules or check any boxes to follow God anymore. He wrote the law in your heart. He he wrote the law before on paper, on tablets of stone. Now he writes on the tablet of human hearts, which means Christianity is not about following rules anymore. It's about falling in love. We are guided by our conscience, by the spirit of God within us, not by rules. Everything is permissible for us. And Paul acknowledges, yeah, it's really that simple. Everything is permissible for you. But just because it's simple never means it's easy. Everything is permissible, so what are we supposed to do now? Well, these three verses that we just read give us some guideposts for how we're supposed to act within the realm of what's permissible for us as Christians. So when he says everything's permissible, I want to be quick to point out that there's a few things this cannot mean. First of all, as Christians, it doesn't mean that it's permissible for you to rebel against God through sin. That's not what this verse means. And I know that because earlier in chapter 10, Paul points out some specific things that are not permissible. Earlier in chapter 10, Paul says you can't worship idols. He says you can't commit sexual immorality. He says you can't be a people of grumbling and complaining. That sounds like rules. That sounds like things that aren't permissible. Okay, so when he says everything's permissible, he doesn't mean you're free to sin. And take a look at this verse from Romans 6, just to really emphasize that. Paul says, don't you know when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves? That's what we've done to Christ. You are slaves of the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. You're a slave either way. You have been set free from sin. You've become slaves of righteousness. That's your reality if you're a follower of God. You're a slave to righteousness. So when Paul says everything's permissible, there are some things outside of the parameters. You've surrendered yourself to Christ and you are bound by that allegiance. Paul says these aren't arbitrary rules to oppress you. They're the laws of moral reality. You're going to serve something. What's it going to be? So that's the first parameter. And I want to put this up on the screen to really make this clear for us. There are things Christians cannot do. And the Bible is clear about that. And second, on the other side of the spectrum, there are things Christians must do. There are things that we have to do. And this isn't because God is a bully. It's not because God is on a power trip. It's because he, he made us a certain way. We require certain things to live. It's like a a father forcing his toddler to stay out of the street, right? Or to eat vegetables. It's for your own good. The Bible's clear servants of Christ are obligated to do certain things. We have to look after orphans and widows. We have to fellowship with other believers. We have to honor God's design in our families. We have to preach the gospel. This isn't an exhaustive list, but you know what I mean. There are things in the Bible that we're told are not optional that we have to do. Now, here in the middle, right at this spot, in between, that's the gray area. That's what these verses are about. That's the everything is permissible zone. And that's where we spend most of our lives. I don't know about you, but I've spent so much time in my life wandering around in the contours of this gray area. Maybe you have too. Questions about morality and what's objective, what I'm allowed to do and what I have to do and what I can't do. How far is too far? Where's the line? 
Questions like, okay, I know I have to read the Bible and study God's word. How many pages do I have to read every day? There's no law about that. Everything's permissible. What am I supposed to do? I know the Bible says not to steal, but what about pirating movies? Is that wrong? You know, the Bible says I'm supposed to respect the government authorities, but what about going five miles an hour over the speed limit? I'm supposed to guard my heart, but what about watching the news when it keeps me informed, but it makes me feel anxious? I'm supposed to minister to people, but what if that ministry starts to hurt me? The Bible doesn't say how much technology you're supposed to use. It doesn't say who you're supposed to vote for. It doesn't say who you're supposed to marry or what job you're supposed to take, which means most of the hardest choices we make in our lives happen in this gray area, the uncharted between, the zone of the permissible. That's why these verses that we just read together are so important, because in these passages, Paul gives us guideposts, beacons of principle that can help us navigate what is allowed for us in between what's forbidden and what's required. Take a look at these three points. Uh, it's not a map. God gives us freedom to chart our own way, but he gives us these guideposts to help us make choices. So here's the first two. Everything's permissible, but not everything is profitable. Everything's permissible, number two. Not everything is constructive. Okay, and then we read number three. Everything is permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. Okay, so within what's permissible for you, here are three things, uh, three questions that you can ask. And this is what, this is what I want to focus on with the rest of our time together. Three questions that you can take home with you today. Three tools the Bible is giving you to arm yourself to navigate your way through what's permissible for you as a Christian. Okay? Is it profitable? Is it constructive? Am I being mastered? So let's take these one at a time and start with, is it profitable? Okay, let me pitch an investment to you and you tell me whether or not you wanna invest in this. Okay, follow me through with some of the math. All right, don't get lost, this is an investment. You invest in my fund, okay? And the fund is gonna pay you out 5% interest every year. Okay, are you with me so far? But every month that your investment is in my fund, I flip a coin and if it's heads, I get to keep all your money. And if it's tails, you can keep your money. How many of you want to invest in the fund? Put your hands down. Okay. <laughs> that was a pretty easy question. Let me give you an even easier question. How did you decide you didn't want to invest in that venture? Well, you asked a simple question. Is it profitable? What is profit? Revenue minus expenses, right? You looked at the expected revenue, 5% per year, and you subtracted the likely expenses. There's a 50% chance I lose everything once a month. And you realized... I'm probably not gonna come out ahead if I invest in that fund. That's how we make decisions with our money. That's how you decide whether you wanna buy that stock, whether you should take out loans to go back to school or to buy a house, whether you should buy that property, whether you can afford that vacation, whether you're gonna buy anything with your money, you think, is it profitable? What am I gonna get out of this in exchange for what I'm giving up for this? And Paul says, why don't you use that same standard when it comes to the spiritual decisions you make in your life? Let me, let me pitch another investment to you, okay? Tell me if you would invest in this. I've got an app. You can download it right now on your phone. And here's what it's gonna do while you use it. While you use this app, it's gonna make you angry most of the time. It's gonna make you scared about the state of the world. It's gonna make you feel socially isolated. And by the way, it's designed to be hyper addictive. But let me tell you the good stuff. 
It's free, and everyone else is using it. Okay, so who wants to download my app? Most of us already have. <laughs> Most of us are sitting here with a phone in our pocket with at least three apps that fit that description. Okay, you might be thinking, well, it's not wrong for me to have that app. Sure, the Bible doesn't say you can't. Here's a more helpful question. Is it profitable? Social media, news apps, keeping up with current events and friends, it has upsides, obviously. You're informed about what's going on in the world. You keep up with people that you're distant from. Maybe you find something funny or insightful or encouraging every now and then, but doesn't it look a little different when you ask whether it's profitable instead of whether it's permissible? Sure, it's permissible, everything is. That's not helpful. Is it profitable? What are you giving and what are you getting? Why don't, we do, why don't we do this kind of analysis? Why don't we do a cost benefit when we're making moral decisions every day? Let me tell you why. It's because dollars are easy to quantify, but anxiety, insecurity, discouragement, those do not come with numerical returns. You get a balance sheet to explain your money, where it goes and how it's working for you. You don't get a balance sheet at the end of the month detailing how you've invested your heart and the returns that you've gotten. But Paul is saying the Bible is encouraging you to start to run that spiritual audit for yourself. Next time you open your phone and you're about to start scrolling, and that's just one of a million different examples we could use here, stop and think to yourself, okay, I'm going to keep a tab in my head as I'm using this app or as I'm doing whatever this experience is for me. What am I getting out of this that's beneficial? There will be some things. What am I losing in return? Paul says, think about moral choices like you think about investments. Don't think right or wrong. That doesn't always apply. Think profit or unprofitable. Think about the time. You could measure it however you want. We've been talking about apps, but measure it in the, amount of, the number of seasons you watch of your favorite show or rewatch or of the, your favorite sport that the season is going on right now. Think about the emotional energy that you invest in certain relationships. How much are you giving and what is the return on that investment? Think about how much you keep up with current events. What are you getting out of all the time and emotion you invest into knowing what's going on and what is that taking from you? Think about your job. Every day when you go to work, what, is the pro, uh, what are the revenue? What are the expenses? Not just in money and how it affects your heart and eventually your soul. You might be thinking, okay, look, profit's kind of cold, isn't it? Kind of cold in calculating. Like we're talking about love here. I want to use love and be guided by my heart, not profit. Well, the Bible suggests something else. Your Bible translation in this, if you're following along, your translation might use a different word than profitable. Some translations say beneficial. Everything's permissible for me, but not everything's beneficial. Or maybe it says helpful instead. Uh, profitable is a valid interpretation, and I looked up this word to see where else it was used, and I think profitable is the best way to interpret this word. The other ones are not wrong, but listen to where else this word is used in the New Testament. Same word. Jesus in Matthew 5 says, if your right eye causes you to sin, Pluck it out and throw it away because it is more profitable that you lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. In John 16, Jesus tells his disciples, he's talking about going away to, to leave them and be with the Father. And he says, it's profitable for you for me to leave because if I go away from you, the Holy Spirit will come and that will be better. So these are verses, these are verses about physical sacrifice to achieve a net spiritual gain. The Bible has no problem with encouraging you to make these sorts of calculations. Jesus did it. He says, give up your right eye because you can profit by avoiding sin. That's a net spiritual gain. 
And Paul here is saying when you're weighing these spiritual choices, think about it in terms of profit, okay? So your choice about how you're going to invest your time, your money, your emotions, they have spiritual consequences. The Bible says, Paul is telling you, run a spiritual audit this week on your behavior, on your habits, on your beliefs. Just because it's permissible doesn't mean it's profitable. Okay, number two, the second guidepost that Paul gives us. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. This is the same word that Jesus uses in the parable of the wise and foolish builders. Jesus says, the wise man constructed his house on the rock. The foolish man constructed his house on the sand. Now, Jesus' parable is about foundations. Everybody is building a house with their life, and you get to pick what foundation you're going to build it on, so pay attention. There's only one foundation in the universe on which your house can stand, and that is the rock of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, once you've chosen to build a house on the rock, you can build it however you want. Once you've chosen your foundation to build it on Jesus Christ, everything is permissible in the way you decide to build the house, which is your life. You can pick whatever job you want, to live wherever you want, to marry whoever you want, but some choices will be more constructive than others. Now, we're talking about construction, we're talking about choices, so I want to turn now to a cautionary tale near and dear to all of our hearts, brought to you by our neighbors to the north, the city of Waco, and it's clogged coronary artery, Highway 35. So, this is a picture of I-35 in 1962 when construction began. The bottom is a projected image of I-35 in the year 2062 when construction will inevitably continue. Show of hands, who's ever been stuck in traffic on I-35 going through Waco? Anybody? Any hands? Few hands? Couple of us? You know, if you're heading south and you're going through Waco towards Temple, the billboards while you're crawling through that traffic corridor for Bucky's, the Bucky's in Temple, it's like 19 miles to Bucky's, 15 miles to Bucky's, and you're just looking for that beaver. It's like the Israelites following the pillar of uh, cloud and pillar of fire. You're just like, I got to get through Waco to the the Bucky's Temple. (laughs) Jokes aside, okay. Rebuilding I-35, I don't know what they're doing. It's obviously hard. They've got a plan in this building project. But think about the consequences. If you start a construction project in 2011 to widen a rural highway from two lanes to three, and then you start upgrading the frontage roads, then you start building overpasses, and now it's 2022, and the goal, I looked this up, the goal of this project, they're going to build 180 new bridges before they're done. And they're gonna have three new full highway lanes going in both directions. Construction choices have long-term consequences. And someday, hopefully, our great-great-grandkids will reap the consequences of the I-35 project. (laughs) Let's say you build houses for a living. Okay, imagine that you build houses and you're really good at it and your manager comes to you and says, I need you to build a house. And you decide, okay, normally I do a really good job when I build houses, but this time I'm gonna get this done as fast as I can. I'm gonna get it done for as cheap as I can, as easily as I possibly can. So you start building the house and you start cutting corners. You start skipping steps. You put a stud every four feet in the wall instead of every two feet. You put fewer lights in the ceiling. You get the cheapest plywood, the cheapest drywall you can. You get the cheapest labor you can hire. Just want to get the thing built and slap a roof on it, okay? You skip the safety checks. Whatever problems come up, that's the owner's problem later. Forget about it. You get done with the house. 
the manager comes back to you and he says, great job building this house. It looks great on the outside. And he hands you the keys and says, surprise, congratulations. This house is for you. All of us are building a house that is our life, one brick at a time, one decision at a time, every day of our lives, 60 minutes an hour, 365 days a year. And Paul says, once you've chosen to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, everything is permissible, but not everything will help that construction project. You can use any materials you want. Are you going to build your walls out of stone or out of paper mache? It's all permissible, but what's going to be more constructive? You can build however you want. Are you going to do it by yourself? Or are you going to get together a team, a community to help you build? Do it however you want. But think, what is going to help this construction project succeed? You only get to do this once. You get to spend one life building one house for you to live in. And as a follower of Jesus, Paul is begging you, set aside what you're allowed to do. You're allowed to do whatever you want. Forget about that. Set aside your rights. It doesn't matter what you have a right to do. This is a question of what will help you construct a life that is stable and beautiful. Paul says you can honor God in a house made of cardboard or a mighty cathedral. It's up to you. Are you making decisions within your freedom in Christ that are constructive? Parents. Parents have freedom in Christ to run your family however you want, right? God has blessed you with, uh, you know, a family that you can run in any way you want, raise your kids however you want. Are you making choices within your family and the way you manage it that are constructive? Are you building something strong and beautiful that will last or are you cutting corners? That's going to be your house at the end of the project that you have to live in. Students, and employees who are here. You have freedom to engage or to disengage when you're at school and when you're at work. Are you constructing something sturdy that will support you in the rest of your life and build a stable existence for you to use to glorify God? Are you skipping steps? Are you just getting by doing the minimum? You're allowed to do that if you want to, but it's not constructive. All of you, all of us as church members here, we have freedom in Christ to be a part of this congregation. You have freedom to be part of this family, to have a voice in the way this congregation operates and the way this family cooperates and gets along. Are you using your influence here in a way that's constructive? Or are you more focused on your rights and your preferences, how you'd like church to be, than on what you can offer and how you can submit and sacrifice? This place isn't about you. It's about God. But you get to come here and lay your brick in the wall every single Sunday, every single relationship that you build here. Every time you volunteer or teach or mentor someone or give, you're building something. You're constructing something here. And Paul says, forget what you're allowed to do. Everything's permissible. You can do whatever you want. What's going to build something solid, stable, and beautiful that will last? Our third and final guidepost here that Paul gives us to navigate in our freedom is this. Am I being mastered? He says, everything is permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. And I told you earlier, this is in a different section in the letter if you're following along. It's from chapter 6. And the reason it's in a different spot, it's exactly the same principle in chapter 10 and chapter 6. It's just his topic is different. In chapter 10, he's talking about unity among believers. And we're going to unpack that context a lot more next week. In chapter 6, though, Paul is talking about sexual immorality. 
which was a huge problem in the Corinthian church. They were trying to figure out how to navigate Christian sexual ethics, which God has designed us to live within. And so Paul is explaining this to them. And he says, look, everything's permissible to you, but be careful what you allow into your life because there are things that might be allowed that can master you, things that can overthrow your free will, things that can conquer your ability to make choices. Not everything's profitable, not everything's constructive, and here's a warning. There are some things out there that will master you if you're not careful. Now, you might be wondering how this could happen. Something in the gray area, something that's not forbidden, how could that sneak up into your life and take it over so that you don't have the power to not choose it? How are habits formed? How does addiction occur? Let me tell you, one word. This is how it happens, how you get mastered by something. Gradually. Gradually. Let me show you an example of a subtle influence in your own life that ends up having a huge effect, okay? Let's play a game. I'm gonna put something up on the screen and just say what it is. I'm gonna put a brand. If you recognize it, just shout out the word. Don't overthink it, just shout it out. Are you ready? Okay, first one, here we go. Walmart, Walmart. good, okay, here's another one. <coughs> Southwest Airlines, okay, all right, next. Gerber baby food. All right, here's another one. I mostly heard that from over here. Thank you. <laughs> Parents, if you don't know, ask your team, man. Got to keep up with this stuff. Okay, here's another one. This one's just a color. Shout it out if you know what this is. No, not the color. <laughs> the brand. T-Mobile. Somebody said it. T-Mobile. T-Mobile has patented this color. You know what? That does look purple. See, see the screens behind you? Turn around and look at the screen. It's a, it's a different color up here. Okay, you got it right, it is purple. T-Mobile has patented a certain brand of magenta. Okay, did you know you can patent the hex code for a color? Anyway, that's, if you look at that screen, it's T-Mobile magenta, but um, not bad, not bad. Okay, round two. Round two is called Finish the Lyric. I'm gonna start a jingle. If you know how it ends, sing out the end of the jingle. Don't leave me hanging. Okay. Ready? We are farmers. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, here's another one. Nationwide is... Okay, one more. This isn't a jingle, but just finish the sentence. Geico. 15 minutes could save you... Good job, good job. Some of you were so ashamed as you were saying it, you were like 15% or more. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. When did you sit down and learn what those logos go with? When did you sit down and memorize those jingles? Did you practice? We are farmers, bum ba dum, no, how does it go? Bum ba dum bum. Did you ever practice that? Nobody ever taught that to you. How'd you know it? Let me tell you how you learned it. One word, gradually. Until 60 seconds ago, some of you didn't even know that you knew it. How'd these companies influence you and get their brand ingrained inside of your brain without you knowing it? Gradually. Nobody thinks advertisements affect them. Everybody thinks they're immune to ads, that they've outsmarted the system. Ads don't influence me. I'm a smart person. You know what? Listen, you're not going to outsmart them. They work. You can't outsmart a boardroom full of ad execs with PhDs in exactly how to manipulate your mind. Listen to this, the father of modern advertising, David Ogilvie said, a good advertisement is one which sells the product without drawing attention to itself. 
Companies love secret ads that you don't even know are ads, like product placement in movies. But you know what else? It's just as good for them if you know it's an advertisement and you think that you're immune to advertisements because then you let your guard down. Before you know it, you're surrounded by ads all through your life, on the TV, on the radio, on your phone, and you're sitting there thinking, I'm immune, ads don't work on me. Bum, ba dum bum, 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 bum. <laughs> when we operate in the moral gray areas in our lives, Paul says, look, there are things out there that can master you. And this process works exactly like advertising. It happens gradually and it works best when you don't think it's happening because then you let your guard down. Sure, maybe it's not morally wrong for you to watch that, that TV show. Maybe it's not morally wrong to hang out with that group of friends or to spend time with that person. To join into those types of conversations at work, maybe the Bible doesn't say you can't do it. Maybe it's not wrong to follow those kinds of accounts on Instagram. Not wrong to scroll for that many hours per week keeping up with the news and what's going on in the world. But gradually, Paul says these permissive things, they start to master us. You might say, look, I just listen to that kind of music ironically. It doesn't affect me at all. I'm making fun of it. You say, I know that TV show is garbage. I just watch it as a joke. There's no way it's affecting me because I'm smarter than that. I know what they're trying to do, and so it wouldn't possibly work on me. Bum, ba dum, bum, 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 bum. All these things that we don't think are affecting us, they start to build these subtle chains around our hearts and around our minds, and eventually, if we're not careful, around our souls. Things that influence us, how we think, how we act, how we believe. You have no clue why it is you've started being so negative and complaining all the time ever since you just so happened to start spending more time every day with so-and-so. You hate that you objectify every woman that you lay your eyes on and you've never connected the dots to all the social media accounts you follow and TV shows you watch that have been training your eyes to do that. You feel spiritually inadequate because you don't spend enough time praying or reading your Bible and you don't realize that might have something to do with how many hours you've been putting in at work or how many hours you've been putting in online or asleep, you name it. You hate the way that you look every time you look in the mirror. You think your car isn't nice enough every time you drive. Your house isn't big enough. Your spouse isn't funny enough or cute enough. And you don't realize you're being mastered by all the perfectly curated social media accounts that you spend hours scrolling past every day. Paul says, look, you're not as smart as you think you are. You're not as strong as you think you are. That's the kind of uh, thing that God came here to help you with and you need his help. You were created to serve a master, one master, Jesus Christ. If there's any area of your life that you have not submitted to Jesus Christ, you are going to submit it to something else. Amen. you got to have the humility to be able to say, I know that it's permissible for me to watch that show. I know it's permissible for me to spend time with those people, but I'm not going to do it because I know myself. And I don't want to be mastered by anything other than Jesus Christ. And so I'm not going to do it. I have the right to do it, and I'm not going to do it because I know myself and I know him. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says a beautiful sentence. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's the sentence that inspired me to do this series because I believe freedom for the sake of freedom, right? Freedom that only works within the parameters of submission to Christ. That's what it means to be free indeed.
You are free in Christ. Everything is permissible for you. You don't live under law, but under grace. But some things aren't profitable. Some things aren't constructive. And some things will master you if you let them and if you let your guard down. Don't use your freedom for selfishness. Don't use it to put yourself above others. Use it to glorify and honor Jesus Christ, your Savior, the one who set you free in the first place. Take these questions home with you this week. Think about these questions when you're making spiritual choices. The Bible gives you tools that you can use to form a better life for yourself, to build a stronger house for you and your family, and to break the chains of subtle addictions that you have wrapped around your heart. Use it. Take it with you and use it. True freedom, being free indeed, means submitting ourselves to Christ, the one who made us and the one, the only one, who can really set us free. Let's pray. God, we thank you for freeing us from sin and death, and we also thank you for freeing us from the law and from a life of rules and legalism. Thank you for writing your law on our hearts. Help us to listen for your voice and follow you more closely every day. God, within our freedom, I pray that for everyone in this room, you could teach us to follow your principles and look to what's profitable, look to what's constructive, and to refuse to let anything master us except for you, our true master. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.